Now, as we come to our sermon text, we are continuing through the Gospel of Matthew, and we are find ourselves now in Matthew chapter 19. And uh, we would be actually at the very first part, verses 1 through 12 of Matthew 19, which is Jesus' teaching on divorce and uh, marriage and singleness. And, and uh, I, it's a great text, and we will come back to it actually next week. Um, I thought, well, I'll just spare you from that on Valentine's Day. But no, honestly, the text that we have this morning is so fitting to what we just witnessed and in the sacrament of baptism. It is uh, Matthew nineteen thirteen through 15, just three verses. And by no means does we intend this to be a, a polemic, an apologetic for covenant baptism. That's not what uh, I think the focus is here necessarily, but it certainly ties to it. And so I hope it will be a blessing to you. And I realize, too, that even in our congregation, there are some that are still don't quite understand why we do baptize children, why we count them in the covenant. I hope God's word will be a blessing to you as well as we consider the gospel this morning. But in Matthew 19, if uh, the scripture text is found on page 8 of your worship bulletin, if you want to follow along, beginning in verse 13, we read these words. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. This is God's holy word. Jesus does love the little children. And as we've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew, we've observed that Jesus shows that love he has through four children in many different ways. I mean, we see him healing children. And in Matthew 9, there is the little girl who has actually passed away, and he raises her to new life. In Matthew 18, we see Jesus again making much of children as he teaches us that to even enter into his kingdom, one must become low, become like a child. That the greatest in his kingdom are those who are like little children, who have humbled themselves in repentance and faith and depend on him. Also in Matthew 18, he gave us that harsh warning that to cause one of these little ones, he says, to stumble, would be be, it would be better for them to drown in the sea than to suffer the judgment of God. Even here in Matthew 19, as we see in the first 12 verses, Jesus upholds the goodness of marriage as a holy institution of God designed for the good and flourishing of the world. And by implication, that includes children. And so then we come to our text this morning, which is perhaps the clearest example that shows us that children matter to Christ. And their significance is such that he includes them in the kingdom as a way to communicate the wideness of his grace and covenant mercy. Children matter in Jesus' kingdom because children matter in God's covenant of grace. You see, through children, the kingdom grows. Through children, new disciples are made. 
The church's covenant children are a powerful proof that God is indeed preserving his people in this world. And so Jesus makes much of the children. And as we see in our texts, one reason he does that is to show us that God's kingdom is deep and wide. It is broad and it is high. There's a wideness to his mercy, a depth to his grace that knows no bounds. Covenant mercy goes beyond nationality and race and gender and age. It unites people from every corner of the world who speak every language and live in every culture. The scale of God's grace indeed cannot be measured. And in verse 13... We see these children being brought by their parents to Jesus so that he may lay his hands on them and pray for them. And we know they're very young children because the grammar and the language implies that, that they they need to be brought by their parents to Christ. They do not bring themselves to him, but but are brought by another. And why are the parents doing this? Why are they bringing their children to Jesus? What lays behind this symbolism of the laying on of hands and the praying for the children? What are, what are the parents seeking here? Well, they're seeking God's covenant blessing. And from time to time, it's, it's helpful to remember what we mean by certain words in our church vocabulary and in, in our, our, our theological vocabulary. And the Bible teaches us, that the distance between God and his creation is so great as to result, uh, as the result of our sin against him, that the only hope we have of being reunited to him is by him voluntarily coming to us. And he does that through this idea of covenant. And so what do we mean by that word? What's a covenant? Well, it's an, an ancient practice of binding relationships. As old Palmer Robertson put it, it's a bond in blood sovereignly administered. It is a legally binding agreement between two parties. And in the case of the covenant of grace, God and his people that he redeems. So a covenant is a legally binding agreement between two parties with conditions that must be met and promises that will be fulfilled when those conditions are met. And also, in addition to those promises, there is usually curses that will result if anyone uh, does not meet those conditions. They break the covenant. And the central promise of God's covenant of grace is summarized in the words of the prophet Jeremiah, where we read in Jeremiah 30, 31, I will be their God and they will be my people. And so through the entire story of the Bible, the story of redemption, that promise is symbolized, it is is typified, it is restated and expanded and explained and demonstrated and realized in many, many different ways and means. And one of those dominant ways that God has communicated that covenant promise is through the sign of the covenant that he places upon children, which, of course, in the old administration of the covenant of grace was circumcision. And now in the new administration is baptism. But when the promises of the covenant would be communicated to offspring, oftentimes it was not unheard of to actually place hands upon the child and to pray a prayer of blessing. And so these parents, they they come to Jesus here in Matthew 19, and they're seeking Jesus' blessing upon their children. 
Now, this isn't a baptism, but this is huge. These parents are recognizing that Jesus truly is the mediator of God's covenant of grace. This is the Messiah. This is the King. This is the fulfillment of all God's promises. Come to us, building his kingdom. And we want our children to be part of that kingdom. In other words, they're asking Jesus to to include their children in the covenant. Now, these children, being Jewish, already had, if they were boys, the Old Testament sign applied to them. But these parents understood that this is something different. This is an expansion of that covenant. And they want to make sure that their children are yet and still included. And they had every right to ask that of Jesus. Because when we look through the scriptures, we find that God has always included children as part of his covenant people. In fact, children have been a central, a key part of his redemptive plans and purposes. And let's go back to the beginning, the very beginning. And there in that beautiful garden of God's glory that has now been marred by the sin of humanity, we see Adam and Eve broken and ashamed because of their willful rebellion against God and trying to become like God. They have just felt the weight of the curse falling upon them. And they're crushed by guilt, realizing the reality and scope of what they had just done. They really need some grace. And grace is what God provides. He provides it through this promise to them in words that he actually speaks to the serpent. He says, I'll put enmity. This is Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring Uh, Between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And here what we see, God is promising children to Eve and that among her offspring would become one, one child of promise who would finally crush the serpent's head, thus signifying the defeat of Satan and sin and death forever. And that promise of this coming one, this coming king who would bring redemption is echoed down from that moment through the ages. It is stated and restated in different words and different ways, but always with the same message that God is a gracious God and he will save his people. He will be a God to them and they will be his people because he will redeem them. And so each child born to God's people, they hear it anew and the people wait and they hope for a redeemer. And among those people that God has chosen to be among his own was an old man named Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And God makes a covenant with Abraham, and that covenant, falling under the umbrella of this greater covenant of grace, furthers those promises of Genesis 3.15 with an additional one, namely that through Abraham, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. But for that promise to come to fulfillment, it would require a child. A child would need to be born. And of course, Abraham, we know from the scriptures, he was very old, far beyond the years of being able to father a child. And and so was his wife, Sarah. 
And so he, he complains to God in, in Genesis 15, verse 3. He says, behold, you've given me no offspring. How are you going to fulfill this? And so God responds to Abraham. He says that he, he brings him outside. And this is beautiful. And he says to Abraham, look toward heaven and number the stars, which, of course, you, you can't. They're innumerable. He says, number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. In other words, from you will be a great innumerable host of people who are my people, says the Lord. Not long after that, of course, a child is born to Abraham, Isaac. And from Isaac comes Jacob. And from Jacob comes the house of Israel. And covenant child after covenant child is born into this visible covenant community of God's people, furthering the promises, marching onward till the day when those promises would be fulfilled. And thus, the people of God were instructed by the Lord. In Deuteronomy 4, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. That would be the salvation, the deliverance of God. And lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. And so the deposit of faith, the promises of the covenant, they are passed down from child to child. That's why we call them covenant children. And of course, they are marked as visible members of, of God's covenant people. And so here in Matthew, when, when these parents bring their children to Jesus to receive this blessing, it was completely natural for them to do so. I mean, after all, these children already had the symbol and seal of the old administration very much upon them. And it would be expected then by these parents that their children would be included as well in the visible people of God in this new dispensation, in this new outworking of God's covenant of grace. But even with that reality... The fact that Jesus was taking the time to welcome these parents and their children and to bless them, it was not appreciated by all. Notice again the latter part of verse 13. Matthew tells us that Jesus' disciples, Peter, John, James, that inner core of the community of God's people, they rebuke these parents. They try to send them away. They, they show a very strong disapproval that they are bothering Jesus and bringing these children to, them, to him. Now, we don't know exactly what their motives or reasoning was for this. Maybe they felt like Jesus was in this uh, important discourse on, on marriage and divorce. And now these parents are coming in and, and interrupting that important discussion. Or maybe they're frustrated because they are trying to make this journey southward towards Jerusalem uh, and be there in time for the Passover. And now their journey south is, has to be, take a pause because they've been intercepted by these parents on the way. You see, while God placed a high priority on children, their inclusion within his covenant people wasn't always appreciated by those people especially in the broader and societal, cultural context of the day. I mean, throughout much of history, the history of the world, 
unwanted children were the the victims of of horrific and and barbaric abuses. And in the Greco-Roman world of Jesus' day, and even within the Jewish society, the people that were supposed to be God's people, the primary importance of children was limited. It was limited to just the firstborn boy. It was to the firstborn boy that the father would give the blessing of his inheritance. But any other son that is born after that, or even more so if it was a girl, they might be considered a burden. They would not have the same status. They were many times treated less favorably. And in some circumstances, they were utterly abandoned by their families. For example, if a son had already been born to a family and the blessing of inheritance is to him and the family determined, you know, there just isn't enough resources for, to support any other children, but more children are born, many times that unwanted infant was simply abandoned and left on the local garbage heap. And that sounds horrible and brutal and it, it, it hurts. But it's no different than the horrible, barbaric things we see done to children today. Now unwanted children are simply discarded even before they get a chance to take a breath of air. In fact, in 2020, the number one cause of death wasn't COVID-19 as bad and as horrible as it was. Rather, it was abortion, with nearly 43 million children killed before they could take a breath. There's nothing new under the sun. You see, the sad reality of this world, of the kingdom of the world, is this. It doesn't value the vulnerable at all. It never has. It didn't in Christ's day, and it does not today. Oh, it pretends as if it does. But when it comes down to it, the only thing that matters to the kingdom of the world is one's own self. That's what sin does. It makes us our own God. And anything else that prevents us from getting what we want simply can be discarded, even a child. The kingdom of the world does not value children in the same way as the kingdom of Christ. Now, these disciples of Jesus, they certainly had a higher view of children than many others in their society, but they're still influenced by it. They're influenced by the culture and the philosophies and the lifestyle of the world around them. And so, these children, they're a bother, and they rebuke the parents that are coming. You see, our sinful natures often will cause us to listen to influences which we should tune out. It's so easy to fall prey to whatever the society, societal mores of the day happen to be. And when we do that, we end up placing limitations on the grace of God that He never places, both in our lives and in the lives of others. In fact, we see this Phenomena, this placing of limitations on God's grace in other parts of Matthew's gospel. Remember when Jesus was teaching the crowd of 5,000 and it's getting late in the day and the people are growing hungry. They, they need to eat. They've been sitting there under the hot sun all day. And what do the disciples tell Jesus to do? Send them away. 
it's too late in the day, just, just send him away, let's go. They limit his mercy, they limit his grace. And of course, Jesus doesn't do that, he, he in turn feeds them miraculously and provides for them. There's also the story of the Canaanite woman, a pagan, an outsider of Israel in Matthew 15, who had a demon-possessed daughter, and, and she is following after Jesus, begging him, Lord, have mercy on me, restore my daughter, deliver her, save her. And what do the disciples say to Jesus? Well, they're bothered, they're troubled. They say, would you send her away? She's bothering us. And it is that very same spirit that the disciples showed then that they show here. Parents are bringing their children to Jesus, seeking his blessing upon them. They want to see Jesus' mercy and grace enjoyed by their children as well. And the disciples say, we don't have time for that. Send them away. But Jesus shows us a startling contrast, and it's a comforting one as well. You see, the reality is we are all like Jesus' disciples here. We've all been influenced in some way by the kingdom of this world. And we have placed limits on what God's grace can do both in our own lives and in the lives of others. But here's the hope of the gospel that answers our failure, our sin. Is that when we see Jesus welcoming these little children, we can take heart And be encouraged because it means he can welcome us as well. If Jesus accepts the least of these, the lowest, the needy, the vulnerable, the children, then he certainly will accept you into his kingdom. After all, he has already told us that if we humble ourselves in repentant faith like little children, then the gates of his kingdom are thrown open wide to us. As his disciples are in the middle of rebuking these parents, Jesus steps in and he says in verse 14, these precious words, let the little children, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. See, when we get grace wrong, when we get the gospel wrong, when we fail to extend gospel mercy, Jesus steps in and he overcomes that failure and does what he has purposed to do, and that is bring in God's people to himself. And thanks be to God that the walls that we will throw up to his mercy and the limits that we try to place on his grace always will come crashing down before the power of his sovereign will when he is determined to throw them down. Nothing can stop his grace when he is determined to save. That is our comfort. You see, we, all of us, need to see Jesus calling the little children to himself. For it is the weak, the vulnerable, the dependent, the unimportant, the overlooked that he calls. That's why baptism is such a beautiful thing. It preaches to us the gospel that by the washing away of our sins, the the regeneration that we experience by the power of the Spirit, that We are now redeemed, and we had nothing to do with that at all. 
It was not dependent on our ability or our inability. Rather, it was completely dependent on the one who does the washing. It was completely dependent upon Jesus. And if little children are permitted to come, then those who are like little children, those with simple faith, are also permitted to come to him. For to such, says Jesus, belongs the kingdom of heaven. And so if children matter in the kingdom, then all who are Christ, all who belong to him, matter as well. Now there's a few implications from this beautiful truth that I think are good for all of us to consider. And I hope they will be encouraging right now, wherever you are, wherever you may be in your life. And the first is to you who are parents of young children, Christian parents. I certainly empathize with your struggle to faithfully bring your active toddlers, your crying infants, and your wiggly children to worship. And I can tell you, I don't hear when they're doing, when they are doing that. You probably are the only ones that hear it. Uh, but if I do happen to hear it, it is a pleasant sound to know that they are here worshiping with you. I realize, though, that sometimes, as a parent of young children, worship coming on Sunday morning, it feels like a lost cause. And you wonder, is is the struggle even worth it to bring my family on the Lord's day and try to sit through worship with them? Well, our text this morning reminds us that, yes, it is worth it. It is worth it because Jesus welcomes the little children. It is not a lost cause because Jesus welcomes your children. He welcomes Burke and Ori and Samuel and Evan and Yanish. He welcomes Elias. He welcomes all of them into his presence. And so I encourage you, keep bringing your children Covenant children belong with God's covenant people. Now that, of course, doesn't dismiss the necessity of faith. We want our children to to make uh, their faith uh, a reality by confessing Christ one day. We want them to take the outward identity that they have as Christian children and make it an inward reality through their own faith. But the best place, the best chance they have for that to happen is to be regularly feeding upon the word of God and to see the worship of God's people. So I encourage you, parents of young children, Jesus welcomes your children. Keep bringing them. I know it's tough, but keep bringing them. The second implication is for you who are Christians who are not married yet and do not have children. And there's two things I think that are important to consider when we see this. One is this. I know that the church hasn't always dealt with the issue of singleness well. And sometimes those who are unmarried feel almost excluded because there's so much emphasis placed on families and children. And the reason for that is because the scriptures put emphasis on family and children. But you are not excluded. Jesus welcomed the children and he welcomes you as well. So keep coming to him in faith. But secondly, and I say this simply as an encouragement Do not fall into the trap that is present in our world that says marriage and family do not matter. Or at even worse, that they are your enemy and will 
defeat you from fulfilling your dreams. Instead, accept what God says in his word, that marriage and families matter, that they are a good thing, that finding a wife or a husband and having children and raising them up is part of God's plan. In fact, there's a very missionary sense to raising families. Because we are raising our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, we are raising up new disciples, and the kingdom of Christ grows. So consider that. The third implication is for those of us who are believers, who have been part of the church for some time, you've been baptized, you've confessed your faith in Christ alone, and you see Christ welcoming children, and it is a reminder to you that you must welcome them as well. Do not be annoyed by the children in our church, but rejoice that they are here and God is building his kingdom through them. And not just those who are children in age, but those who are young in the faith as well. May we never treat those with just a spark of faith as somehow being unwelcome amongst God's people. And finally... The final implication is perhaps you're wondering if Christ would even welcome you. Because you have felt the shame and the sting of your sin, and it has overwhelmed your heart. And you begin to wonder if you are beyond the reach of God's grace. Here's the thing. If you recognize that, if you repent, if you come to Christ in faith, you are welcomed. By him. He wants you to come to him just as he welcomes the children. And so become like a little child and know the joy and the beauty of redemption. Christ's kingdom is indeed deep and it is wide and it is broad and it is high. And the same hands that took these little children by their hands, they can take yours as well. For now they are nail-scarred hands, hands of the Son of God that embrace all who come to him in humble faith and repentance. And so run to him, run to him, and you will know the forgiveness. You will have all that shame and the sting of that sin washed away for all eternity. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful that you welcome the vulnerable, the least of these, those that seem unimportant to others. We're thankful that you raise up children, that you continue to preserve your people in this world until that day when Christ our King shall return and we all together, young and old, will see him with our own eyes, what our hearts already have seen. The gracious face of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.